Hey everyone, Hoppo here. Unfortunately, I haven't been able to get into the studio because of the COVID outbreak, so the quality of these episodes may not be as good as usual. But stay safe, and uh, we'll get through all this together. Welcome to Life's a Beach. I'm Bruce Hopkins, better known as Hoppo from Bondi Rescue. Each week I'll be sharing some stories, the good, the bad, and everything in between. I'll be chatting to guests about their life experiences and giving our listeners an insight to the challenges we have faced in our lives. We'll share a few jokes and some banter along the way, and hopefully our experiences will resonate with you. As the saying goes, while life's a beach, it can also be a bitch. Hey everyone, this week on Life's a Beach, I'm joined by Amy Ridge, who has recently returned from the Tokyo Olympics, competing in the Australian water polo team. Then we have Beach Banner. Now let's have a listen to my chat with Amy. Okay, this week in the Beach Shack, it's a pleasure uh, to have Olympian and water polo player Amy Ridge. How are you, Amy? I'm very well, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Mate, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. You've uh, just recently come back from Tokyo uh, with the Olympic Games. Uh, give us a little bit of an insight. I suppose this year is a bit different uh, going to the Olympics than previous years, even though this was your first time. But you know, give us a rundown on how tough it was uh, without crowds, wearing masks and having tests all the time. Yeah, so I think, I guess, because this is my first Olympics, I didn't really have that many expectations about, you know, what an Olympics should look like, which I think, in a way, was probably a good thing. Um, And I was actually really pleasantly surprised um, at how smoothly everything ran. We obviously went through a lot of COVID protocol before we arrived. And, you know, obviously, Australia being one of the stricter countries in um, creating COVID protocols, we were quite getting quite anxious about, you know, what it would look like and everything. But when we got there, everything ran really smoothly. Obviously, mask wearing all the time is a bit of a nuisance, (laughs) but I think, yeah, it's something that you forget about. And yeah, I think the the village itself supposedly was less, um, there was less to do, less to see than normally at an Olympic Games. But um, I think it helped us focus on the goal that was to play our best water polo, um, which suited our team quite well. I think, yeah, that was a positive thing for us. Also, we're used to playing with not very large crowds. You know, we're not a very high-profile sport, so I don't think that really affected us too much. Well, in the Olympic Village, we, we kept apart from other countries. Was it specific or you just sort of got around as as you needed to do? Um, so, like, our tower, our Australian tower was you know, specifically designed like really well. Apparently this was, you know, the the best we've ever had with, you know, really um, good nutrition. So we didn't have to go to the dining hall if we didn't want to. Um, we even had a barista, which was amazing. Uh, <laughs> that was that was the main attraction of the village, yeah, the I, Australian I, team's barista. I need one of them, I think. I do, I've got yeah. a coffee sitting next to me now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we spent a lot of time... Um, down there and you know we had TVs set up everywhere it was really accommodating so that if we didn't feel comfortable leaving our tower and our space we didn't have to but you know obviously um, the food hall is one of the main attractions we you know we obviously did go to the dining hall making sure that we had proper COVID precautions in place and things like that Um, you could move around quite freely 
as long as you were wearing a mask. It, yeah, it wasn't too much of a hindrance at all. Right. And the testing, was that daily or, or every few days? Yeah, we had um, daily testing. It, it wasn't like a, a nose tickle test that you get here. It was one where you um, you spit into a tube, which actually surprisingly is quite difficult to spit into a very small tube and you have to fill it up to a certain line. I never thought that um, that would be something that was so hard to do. <laughs> now, with the uh, competition, um, what was the goal for the team? Obviously, everyone wants to win gold, but what's the expectation? Because I suppose leading up to the Olympic Games, you wouldn't have had much international competition. Yeah. Um, so I guess like coming off the back of a bronze medal at World Champs in 2019, and then in January 2020, we actually beat the US, who were ranked number one, for the first time that they'd been beaten this cycle, you know, so we were obviously coming into what we thought was going to be an Olympic year in 2020 with high hopes. And we were really looking to win a medal. Um, and then, you know, obviously everything was flipped on its head with COVID and we all um, went back to our home States and, you know, picked up other priorities. So I managed to get in two trimesters of full-time study and we didn't actually get back together as a full national team until January, 2021. Right. And, you know, we spent, six months training and living together on the Sunshine Coast, which was probably the best thing for us, given that we couldn't play any international games. But we were obviously coming into Tokyo, um, you know, without having played an international game for 18 months, which I think was like, you know, the biggest, you know, um, struggle, like hurdle for us to overcome playing our first international game for so long at the Olympic Games. But, you know, I think we'd had such a solid block of training and done the best with what we had that we were still obviously hoping to win a medal, but we just didn't, I guess we didn't know what to expect because we hadn't seen anyone in so long. Um, so yeah, that was, that was like the biggest struggle for us, I guess. Yeah. And where'd you end up finishing in the end? It was, I think it was fifth, was it? Yeah, we came fifth. So yeah, losing the quarterfinal to Russia was, you know, obviously shattering. Um, but I think, you know, we're one of the only, team sports at the Olympics that actually plays out for minor placings. And I think the silver lining of that was that we managed to produce two really good games of water polo and, you know, yeah. uh, really put on display our values and show who we are and bounce back from such a, you know, a hard loss and managing to come fifth, which yeah. is, you know, the, the next best outcome. Yeah. With um, water polo and people listening and people out there have probably played water polo. I played a little bit as a, as a younger kid, but it ended up, it was too rough for me, you know. So how how rough is it at that level? Like, you know, I'd imagine the Russians and, and, and that would be, it'd be quite a, you know, what goes on underwater that uh, you don't really see? <laughs> I think this is one of <laughs> my most commonly asked questions because I think everyone has like a traumatic high school water polo story of them being drowned. Um, but, you know, generally at a higher level, it is, it's less rough. Yeah. Um, Although in saying that, we have come out of games with bite marks before. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes what happens under the water is um, it's best not spoken about, I guess. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. What stays in the water, uh, yeah, what happens, uh, you just pretty much leave it as is. Um, yeah. Yeah, or you just shake hands when you get out of the water. Yeah. <laughs> um, what position do you play in, in the water polo team? I'm a centre back, so right. I defend the center forward who kind of sits on two meters in front of the goal. Um, they're generally the bigger players and there's always kind of like an attacking advantage. So when the ball comes into the center forward, 
um, normally the outcome is like the, the defender might be excluded unless the perimeter defenders come back and help and crash to steal the ball. Um, oh. So it's kind of like, yeah, defending the bigger players closer to the goal. Yeah. Okay, that wasn't yeah. very well explained, but it's kind of like uh, in basketball, the center in basketball. Yeah, it's the, yeah. Yeah, the defender of that. Yeah, yeah, I understand. That's uh, yeah. Yeah. now that was explained very well. Um, yeah, but uh, that that would have been that'd be a tough uh, position, though, wouldn't it? Because that's you, you obviously the the girls are bigger. That you know they're going to be trying to score goals, so it'd be a tough position. Yeah, it is. It is a relatively tough position. There's a lot of physical mm. contact, a lot of wrestling. And I think, you know, I'm not as big and strong as some of those girls, so it means that I have to play quite a mobile game. So a lot of swimming and moving. Yeah, so that would mean, though, you'd need to be, you know, exceptionally fit to be able to move quick and continually keep uh, up and and move around with the the bigger girls. Yeah, um, particularly at that level, everyone is really fit. It's a very dynamic game. And, like, everyone has to have quite a diverse skill set. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so what type of fitness do you do? Like I know obviously you're in the, you know, it'd be like basketball, netball and football and, you know, you're on the fields, so you're in the pool doing um, different plays. But what do you do outside of that to uh, get fit for the games? So, yeah, basically in the water, our fitness sessions will be maybe like three 3K swim sets a week. So it's maybe 9K of just pure swimming. Yep. Um, a lot of our other sessions, we have a lot of incidental swimming. So you'll be, you know, in a counter-attack drill, obviously, like moving up and down the pool while practicing skills and shooting and stuff like that. Um, But then also out of the pool, we get on the exercise bike, often in like a heat chamber um, for heat acclimatization. Um, And then other people do like their own kind of cross-training. Like most people do one session of choice of their own cross-training, whether it be running or on the erg or something like that. So taking it right back now to... You know, your early days, you grew up around the eastern suburbs in, in Randwick and you were a part of the, the Bronny Nippers growing up. And So tell us a bit about that growing up in your early years. Was there – I think mum, my mum actually taught you to swim at some stage. Um, yeah. Coming through. Yeah. So give us a little insight on, on those early days. Yeah, I guess – I think I've always been a water baby. Yeah, I grew up in Randwick, but my parents chose to send me to Bronte Nippers because they knew it was the roughest beach and they wanted me to learn surf skills at one of the roughest beaches in the eastern suburbs. And, you know, I always loved the waves, like nippers. I have very fond memories from doing nippers. Um, Harry's actually, I did a lot of board training with him. We we idolised him as a a coach growing up. Um, He's still as mad as ever, so he hasn't changed. (laughs) I can imagine. And, yeah, I, you know, I did a lot of swimming as well. So I went to Barry's Swim School at St. Cass. Yep. And yep. Joan, your mum, <laughs> coached me there. So I've known her since I was very young. Um, yes. But, yeah, like nippers was probably, yeah, one of my favourite activities. And then I obviously yep. was a competitive swimmer as well. And then I played netball too. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, mum always talks about uh, everyone she's taught to swim that's gone on to, you know, be... <laughs> either swimmers or, or Olympians or anything like that. She's, she gets the, the claim to fame that I started all, that person from the beginning. So, you know, it's a, it, it's a great rap that she, um, she gives you. So it's a, a, a fantastic achievement. But um, from there, you obviously went into, as you said, the, the swimming competition. What then made you go to water polo? Was that, so I know you went to St. Catherine's Girls School there. I've got, I got a little story because I grew up next door to St. Catherine's. So, I'll touch on a story there that mum probably doesn't like, but what was the reason that you went to water polo? 
Yeah, so I think initially um, St. Cass had a water polo program and, you know, Andrea Nitsis, who now is the head of sport at St. Catharines, he, you know, was also a coach at UNSW, the club. So he was like, you know, you should try water polo. So I, you know, started at school and then ended up transitioning to club water polo. And I think I loved the team aspect of it. And I, you know, eventually got sick of following that black line. Yeah. Um, And yeah, just fell in love with a sport that probably had, it it wasn't so one dimensional. It had a lot more elements and then also playing with your friends and being able to travel with them was a really good part of it too. Yeah, it would be because, you know, swimming, I've done a lot of swimming over my years as well, but it's, yeah, that black line, it's a, it's a lonely individual sport. But then I can see that uh, water polo, you know, that team environment, it's not as boring as, as up and down the black line. So, yeah, it would be great being the team. Yeah, I think people say that water polo players are crazy, but I think that you have to, you have to be something else to be a competitive swimmer as well. You have to be a bit crazy to do that too. <laughs> well, with, uh, it's, it's a funny story with uh, when you mentioned you witnessed in Catherine's we grew up there. My, my, my brother and I, obviously, you know, there's borders in um, St. Catharines. And yeah. My brother and I, when we were younger, we used to jump the fence and, and run over there over the weekends when the, the borders were around. And so many times the, the school teachers, and I hope one of them are listening, they're probably older now, they're probably about in their <laughs> 70s, but they used to chase us out every weekend and we had this tree we used to climb up and then they'd call the police and we'd be hiding in this tree and uh, it, was, it was some funny times back there with St. Catharines. But, uh, yeah, every time someone says they've been to St. Catharines, it brings back all my memories where yeah. we used to run, run around in, the, in those playgrounds over the weekends. Oh, God. Well, funny you should mention you as a young child because my mum was very excited about me coming on this podcast because you two went to Sunday school together. She was yeah. like, make sure you remind him. <laughs> the little boy with glasses. Yeah, that's, I had little glasses on back in those days. And then I had, yeah, uh, yeah Kathy, your mother, we went to Sunday school and I forget how old. I think I was only about six or something, six, seven years old. And it yeah. was, um, yeah, it seems a long time ago now. But, uh, yeah. yeah, it's funny how, uh, you know, everyone – meets up throughout their life and, and how the generations just keep uh, coming through. Yeah. We have to say hello to your mum. We'll have to get her to listen to the podcast. Oh, she will. She'll definitely listen. <laughs> she was very excited. <laughs> so pretty much after that, you know, you got into the, the competition of, of water polo and then that really sort of sparked the competitive side and the team side. But did you ever think in your mind back then that I want to be an Olympian? Actually, no. And I think like, you know, the main narrative for a lot of people that I, you know, that I hear when they make an Olympic team is, you know, that this was their childhood dream and they've always wanted to go to the Olympics. But I think that was never the case for me purely because I never had the self-belief. And, you know, growing up, I was never, you know, like a scattered prospect as a, you know, as a junior water polo player, I, I scraped in as the reserve to our youth world champion, the under 18th Australian team that went to the youth world championships. You know, I, I was the reserve and luckily, well, not luckily for them, but you know, um, <laughs> someone got injured and I ended up going. And I think, yeah, I, I struggled a lot um, with my confidence growing up and I never really believed I had it in me. And I think it wasn't until I actually made the senior national team for the first time at the beginning of 2017. So after the Rio cycle, there was obviously, you know, a high turnover of players and a new coach came on board and he liked me, thought I had potential. And, you know, I guess once I made the team, I never really looked back, but it was that first tournament that I played at. We actually um, won gold. It was a a world league tournament 
and we beat America. And that was the moment that I thought, oh, I want to do this for the rest yep. of my life. Like, this is amazing. And I think that kind of lit that fire for me. Yeah. And do you think it was just perfect timing with the coach's world? Do you think if it was a different coach or the coach that was previously coaching, the same outcome would have happened? I mean, maybe not. I think, yeah, it was it was probably good timing for me in that, like, I'd, I'd actually gone to college in America in 2016 and kind of before that I was questioning whether I wanted to, you know, pursue water polo at all. And luckily enough, you know, I was scouted by the coach of the University of Michigan. He came out to Australia, watched one of our tournaments, and it was, you know, funnily enough, I actually, when I was playing that tournament, I was thinking, you know, maybe this is the last time I'll give competitive water polo a go and just play socially. But, yeah, during that tournament, I was scouted to go to America and I thought, you know, why not give this a go and see if I really, you know, still enjoy playing. And I think that that experience made me really want to continue. And I came back from America, you know, only after one season because I wanted to continue studying law in Australia, which is something that I'd already started before going to America. I came back, you know, really loving water polo again, knowing that it was something I wanted to do. And then got picked for my first camp with the new coach. So I think it kind of was serendipitous in a way. Like yep. it all kind of fell into place at the right time, yep. which I'm yeah very grateful for now, I guess. <laughs> well, when you're talking about the US and Michigan, what, um, were there many water polo players that have made the US team that you were playing against? and Or was it more a, a university, going to university over there? Yeah, so um, the year that I went, because it was – an Olympic year, 2016, actually all of the Olympic athletes were redshirting. So they didn't play that year because they were training full-time with the national team. So I actually think in a way that gave me better exposure in that environment without the top level athletes who were going to compete in Rio. So yeah, that was a bit of a different experience to what college is normally like, obviously with all the top US athletes and all the top European players and even some you know Australian players in the national team. And I think that would have helped you and learn a lot more by going over for that 12 months? Yeah, definitely. It was, I think they play a very structured style of water polo that um, we don't necessarily learn as juniors. So I think there were a lot of skills that I'd kind of missed out on over here that I managed to learn. Yeah. And I think just that was probably, that was the first time I'd lived out of home. So it was a lot of like personal development as well. First time I'd seen snow um, it was minus 20 degrees when I arrived. Was it? Tr- yeah, so first week trudging through the snow to training at 7 a.m. in minus 20 degrees, I was like, oh, no, what have I done? But, no, yeah, it was a really um, incredible experience and very different to anything I'd done before. Oh, it would have been. And what? Uh, obviously it would have been indoor pool. Lucky there are indoor yeah. pools over there. <laughs> yeah, lucky. <laughs> yeah. Back in the day, I remember um, – meeting Dawn Fraser years ago and she used to tell me how they used to swim train. It was like an outdoors pool there at Balmain and, you know, I don't know how they did it in that cold water. No, yeah. <laughs> Definitely not in winter. Not did me. you ever play? I noticed a lot of people played at uh, Watson's Bay. Did you ever play out there? No, I, I haven't. Um, but I, we have done a few um, different, like, beach water polo tournaments. And actually in 2019, we managed, as a national team, we managed to organise to play like an exhibition game on the Great Barrier Reef, right? Um, which was that was really fun. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a competitive game, but it was yeah, it was a very fun yeah, experience. Yeah, yeah that'd yeah. be fun. Yeah, might have to might have to do one at the Bondi Icebergs one year. Oh yeah, they used to. Um, they yeah. had water polo by the sea for a while, run by yeah. Thomas Whalen, but they haven't yeah. had one of those in a few years. 
Now, also, have there been any tough times coming through or times where you thought of, of or you got an injury or something that that made things a lot more difficult than what you thought it would be? Yeah, I think just going back to, like, myself as a junior, I, yeah, I never really had the self-belief and I also wasn't particularly good at receiving feedback. I would always take it really personally and I think that really, um, like, stunted my development at the time. And so I struggled a lot, you know, missing out on team selection and, you know, not thinking I was good enough. And I think all of those times helped me become the more resilient and like hungry for success, the person that I am today. And so, and I guess like even now, like it's come full circle where we've, you know, given up so much of our lives to pursue this like elusive gold medal at the Olympics and, you know, we've fallen short. And I think it just like reaffirms that hard work and success like aren't necessarily linear and like you can think that you deserve it a hundred percent and but it doesn't that doesn't necessarily mean everything will go your way so yeah i guess there are like there are plenty of tough times that keep yeah. reoccurring and you keep relearning things yeah what would you be what would your advice be to you know a young girl out there listening that's up and coming and, and wants to get into water polo or they may have already be playing water polo what your advice be to them I guess the first thing is that you you have to enjoy it. Like it all stems from your love of the sport. And if you're not enjoying it, then I guess you need to reassess your priorities. But I think the next thing is that you can't give up when it gets hard if you are still loving what you're doing. And yeah, there are plenty of times where you think, yeah, like I said, that you deserve it and you've worked so hard and you'll fail. But what really, I guess, defines you is how you deal with that failure and then stand up and try again. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Well, well, well said. Um, also, you're currently in uh, quarantine after coming back <laughs> Tell us, how's that going? You gone nuts yet? Oh, uh, like, you know what? The first seven days went by so fast and then it got to day eight and I was like, you know what, I think I'm about ready to leave now. <laughs> um, so we've currently, I'm on day nine, ten maybe, yeah. ten. So we've got four days to go and um, the days are getting slower and it's actually quite heartbreaking to see other people leaving. Like we saw the swimmers leave the other day. Right. So that, that was really hard. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, we're on the home stretch and we'll be out soon. <laughs> and you, um, you're coming back to Sydney? Yes, yeah, I will be, which, you know, doesn't, I don't think that's much better at the moment. <laughs> no, we're not doing too good, I think it's, yeah. So where's the uh, future like? Is uh, obviously the next Olympics is only three years away. Is that something that uh, you're going to be aiming for? Yeah, definitely. So initially, you know, my plan after this Olympics was to come home and study full-time, you know, get a full trimester of uni out. Um, you know, have a little bit of a break from training, you know, just and then get back into it in January before we have world champs in May next year. But since coming back and seeing as I've had so much time to, you know, think in quarantine, I've actually decided that, you know, given the situation in Sydney and that it will be difficult for us to train as a group and we may not get any games 
domestic games because of yep. you know the COVID situation. I've decided that I'm going to take up a professional contract and play in Greece. Oh, right. Um, yeah, so I may be leaving as soon as, you know, in, in the next two weeks after I get out of quarantine. Um, so that was like a quite a big life decision to be made <laughs> Not, um, on the spur of the moment. But, yeah, I think, you know, I will never have as much freedom as I do now to make decisions like this. And yeah. we know that coming off the back of this experience, the one thing that we were lacking was, games so i think we need if we want to put our best foot forward in the future particularly for world champs coming up which is right around the corner um we all need to go away and get some game experience again and that would be great experience too in in greece like what's the uh competition like over there is it quite strong yeah so they've got a really strong european league similar to like the soccer champions league um, but then also the Greek domestic league this year is looking to be really strong. They've got quite a few international players from America, from Hungary. So that'll be, yeah, a really exciting thing. Yeah, no, that'd be a really good experience. And and that's a, um, what just, that'd be 12 months, will it? You, you're contracting um, I think there? I think it's nine months. Right. I think I'll be there from September till April. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, that'd be a good move, I think. And uh, it'd be quite exciting to be different culture and, and yeah. learning, uh, I, I, how would, I suppose that most people speak English around the world these days, but I suppose the language barrier might be a little bit different. Yeah, I think actually Greece is like pretty good. A lot of people in Greece speak yeah. English. Um, I think learning the water polo terminology will be the hard thing because they'll yeah. be coaching in Greek. So that will be <laughs> a steep learning curve. But yeah, it'll be good. And what, what uh, is it a local team you'd be playing for? Yeah, uh, I, I'll be going to Vulegmeni, which is in Athens. It's a really right. beautiful part of Athens. Yeah. So it'll be a good lifestyle as well. Yeah, you'll be living the life. Yeah. <laughs> all right, another couple of questions I've got. Have you ever done a rescue at all? A surf rescue. Any re- yeah, any rescue. Um, I don't know if this counts, but one time at Clovelly, there was a, a man that was struggling and I yeah. saved him. Well, saved. I helped him to the side before the lifeguards even realised what was happening. Yeah. Well, that, that counts. Lucky That's a risk. <laughs> if you weren't there, he might not have survived. No, I know, but Clovelly is, you know, pretty tame. <laughs> yeah, people listening, uh, Clovelly is sort of like a pool, like a yeah. like a, a, a water polo pool, I suppose, on steroids. <laughs> Actually, during COVID, we did a lot of sessions at Clovelly. My friend has a blow-up goal, and so she brought down her goal oh. and. We were passing and swimming, and it was very cold. We all had, luckily, <laughs> two times you provided us with wetsuits, so that was yeah. amazing. Well, that's but good. yeah, it was pretty grim at the time, but it makes for a funny story now. <laughs> <laughs> also, you've grown up around the beaches and everything, so what does the ocean mean to you? Yeah, um, I think the ocean is a big part of my lifestyle in Sydney. I spend a lot of time at the beach. And obviously a big part of growing up, like I love nippers. I did nippers from under sixes to under 14s at Bronte. I, yeah, I think I would struggle to live anywhere away from the ocean. It's something that I like to do every day, go for a swim there. Um, it's very therapeutic and, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I grew up at Bronte as well. And um, like they said when I was growing up, they said if you um, can handle Bronte, you can handle any ocean conditions anywhere in the world. And, and a lot of... Funny about Bronte, though, is a lot of 
people have come through and they've ended up professional surfers. Yourself has gone to the Olympics. I interviewed Owen Finnegan the other week who, who played for the Wallabies. Like all these guys, Victor Radley's now playing for the Roosters. Um, there's a lot of talented people tend to come out of this small little Bronte community and end up, uh, you know, in elite sports. Yeah, that's, that is really cool. I didn't actually know that. But yeah, Bronte Nippers was like quite a small, humble club. So I guess, yeah, it is cool to hear success stories coming out of it. And do you find, um, obviously, water polo, you've got to swim that little bit higher than what you do if you're swimming like in a, like laps in a pool. Yeah. Do you think the ocean swimming, uh, growing up with that, helped with the water polo, the same sort of technique, I'd assume? Yeah, I, I mean, maybe. Ocean swimming and water polo swimming are definitely more similar, like a shorter, choppier stroke. I remember when I started playing water polo, my swim coach was mortified at how much my stroke <laughs> had shortened and changed. I lost, like, all technique. But, yeah, it's, I think it's a lot, a lot of upper body strength as opposed to, like, more core and lat strength yeah. in pool swimming. So, yeah, yeah, it's definitely similar to ocean mm. swimming. Is there also a lot of, um, like, weights and, like, gym work for water polo or, or uh, a lot of, um, do you do, like, Pilates and yoga? Is that something that's in the program? Yeah, so we do three strength, like, weight sets a week and then a lot of us do Pilates just for, right. like, re- rehab and mainly for like mobility. So like my thoracic rotation really tightens up. So Pilates is something that helps that. But yeah, um, strength is a huge part of it, especially because you don't have like a stable base of support in the water. So you need quite good core strength, I guess, for you to be able to get out of the water high and shoot uh, while someone might be pushing you off balance, like all of those things. Yeah. What would the uh, toughest nation be to play against well america are the best in the world right now they have been for some time they've won back to three back-to-back olympic golds so that's obviously like the standard that we're all chasing but the european nations are all very good as well so spain hungary italy greece the netherlands um it's it's funny like it's quite exciting in women's water polo because the top eight teams in the world on any given day, apart from America, who are probably more dominant, the rest of us on any given day could beat each other, which I think makes for quite exciting competition and, you know, a lot's on the line. And in the junior ranks, do you think it's um, a lot more girls are coming on board to play water polo than what they did years ago? Yeah, I think our participation levels are definitely rising, but we're still a relatively small sport, so that's something I'd like to see um, in the future, more people playing. And I know it's quite like a private school dominated sport. So I think, you know, um, lowering the barrier to entry is important to get people involved. So, yeah, I'm not really sure what the solution is, but hopefully more and more people start playing. Well, you never know that, the, you know, you continue in this for a few more years or, you know, you might even get to the Olympics after the next one, which I think, what's the next, after, after for, uh, LA. Paris, uh, LA, so. Yeah. You still could be young enough for that. So what would the limit be for age-wise for before people retire out of water polo? So um, the oldest player in our team, Bron Knox, she's a four-time Olympian. She's 36 this year. So, And that will be the age that I'll be in Brisbane in 2032. So you right. can never rule anything out. <laughs> there you no, go. You I'm never know. Sure. No, you're right. You do never know. Um, yeah, so we our team ranges from 36 to 20. 
um, with like the average age probably being about 26. So yeah, there are some older players still playing. There are a few 35, 36 year olds with plenty of experience under their belt still playing internationally. And do you think that's a good balance? Like you have younger into the older, because obviously every team sport needs that experience to, to help the younger ones coming through. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, yeah, it's, it's great for our team to see the dynamic between the young 20-year-olds and Bron, the, the, <laughs> the wise old soul that she is. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it's, yeah, I think it's really good to have a balance of both. It keeps it fresh. Yeah, no, that'd be good. I think uh, all those team sports travelling, that geez, you, you must have a lot of fun as well with, uh, you know, outside of water polo with a, with a team travelling around the world. Yeah, it is. It's amazing. And like they've become like family, especially for the past six months where we've pretty much spent the entire time together. And it's like it's almost like the hard experiences that bring us closer together. And you share such like profound things with this group of people that you may never have met or been friends with otherwise. And I think that's like the best part about team sports is like not just the traveling and the glamour and the winning. It's like all the the grunt work that goes into making a good team behind the scenes but yeah that really makes us gives us like a close bond and you would have met so many people around the world as well in water polo and that would have been become friends even though they're from other nations and that's something that uh you, you have probably for the rest of your life yeah that that's also another cool thing about it i guess water polo is a relatively small sport so we all know each other and yeah i've got friends from when i played in america and even from other international teams just playing against them at different tournaments so yeah that's that is another highlight yeah. Well, um, Amy, it's great that you've come into the beach shack and, and, and tell your story and hopefully uh, everything goes well in Greece and the next, the, uh, next Olympic Games and uh, hopefully you also go on to Brisbane. I'll be, you know, I'll be, in, my, I'll be in my 60s by the time Brisbane comes around, so <laughs> I'm just hoping I'm still alive by then. <laughs> no, thanks so much for having me and hopefully I see you around Bronte sometimes. Yep, yep, when you uh, pop down and uh, we'll have a chat then. So, yeah, great to yeah, great. Uh, have you on the podcast. Yeah, thanks so much. And say hello to your mum. I haven't seen her for I years. Will. I will. <laughs> She's probably listening. Hi, mum. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll uh, see you soon. Sounds good. Thank you. Thanks, Amy, for joining me in the Beach Shack, sharing your story. Next up, Beach Banner. This week in the Beach Shack, Laurie joins me for Beach Banner. Hey, Loz. G'day, g'day, Hoppo. Mate, uh, early days we used to get put through our diving certificate and and, uh, you were one of those. And then a few of you decided to go down the south coast and there's a little bit of a story behind that one. Yeah, well... What had happened was uh, we got our basic diving uh, certification in the early 1990s, uh, a group of the permanent guys, and um, the idea being that, uh, you know, we could um, get involved in body retrievals where, where bodies were submerged below the surface of the water. And uh, in the lead-up, or after we got our certification, we did some dives as a group. Uh, on one occasion, we went to Port Stephens, but on another occasion, we went down to Jervis Bay, which was just stunning. Uh, what happened was um, 
as per the uh, as per the standard operating procedures. Um, we went down with a buddy, and on this occasion, my buddy was Corey Adams, and uh, I'll never forget. You know, we obviously you go down to the bottom, and um, you're looking at all the uh, all the aquatic life down there, the wobby gongs and stingrays and sea dragons and I was with my buddy and of course you you know because you're only a relative novice to diving you're always looking around to make sure your buddy's not far from you and of course you know um great whites um frequent Jervis Bay so you've always got an eye out (laughs) for the big man in the gray suit um on this particular occasion with Corey as my buddy I looked around at one point. We, I, I'm yeah. pretty sure we were going through some little caves, um, you know, nothing tricky. And I saw his weight belt. I knew it was his weight belt lying on the sand at the bottom. And I thought, oh, God, what's happened? He's been taken. You know, he's, <laughs> old mate in the grey suit's come along and he's, he's taken off with Corey. <laughs> you know, <laughs> knife and fork, <laughs> well, that sort of business. I turned around, all I could see were bubbles. And I looked up and these bubbles led to this, I could see this Corey, you know, we were probably, uh, whatever it was, it wasn't a, a hell of a way down, might have been six metres down, if that. Uh, there's Corey, he's dropped his weight belt and he's <laughs> he's gone to the surface and... Uh, you know, obviously, I had to follow him up because he was my buddy and I got to the top and I, I can't remember what his excuse was, but I said, mate, for, for the life of me, I thought you were gone. You were taken <laughs> by a great white. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he, uh, he spotted the shark and pinned it. I don't know, but he'll answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> well, mate, thanks, Loz, for uh, coming in the beach shack. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Remember to subscribe to Life's a Beach wherever you get your podcasts and hit us up with questions, comments, or follow us on our social media channels, which you can find in our show notes. That's it for today, beach fans. Stay safe and swim between the flags.